to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chung. On this episode, I meet with Eugen Lee, an artist who works with video, drawing, and printmaking. Eugen is interested in micro-historical narratives that revisit themes such as war, globalization, and collective identity. I first met Eugen while we were both in college in a sculpture class. Eugen was born in Korea and received her BFA from Cornell University. She lived in Berlin for three years before moving to New York City to receive her MFA at Columbia University. More recently, Yujin decided to move to Jeju, an island off the coast of Korea. I connected with Yujin before she left New York, and we explore ideas about finding the right audience, repetition, and what it means to be intimate. For clarification purposes, I want to point out that Eugen refers to a person named Rick Rick, whose full name is Rick Rick Tiravenit, an artist and teacher at Columbia University. I've added a bunch of links for this particular episode on the website. I hope you enjoy this. I think drawing has always been part of my practice, either, well, more or less like as a main medium. Mm-hmm. And I still consider it in a certain way as a main medium of my practice. But um, I have conflicting feelings about it recently because yeah. um, just because in terms of just in terms of not in terms of what I think is important for me in my own practice inside that bubble of myself, but in the context of contemporary art or art world, I just didn't have good reception of any of my drawings Mm. in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I've still continued to draw them and continue to make them, but it seems like people are just not interested in showing them. Mm. Um, There were, there are more, a lot more interest in showing videos, my videos, or kind of performative aspect of my work or works on paper, but that's kind of more like on site rather than um, premeditated kind of drawings that I right. did a lot. So the way I arrange things on my website also reflects that in the sense that, and also mm-hmm. it's like a weird thing because I know from the art world perspective, I feel like my kind of drawing is not really re- being receptive right now. And, but at the same time, I'm also feeling that I'm not, I'm, I'm really not quite sure, uh, in general, how I feel about art objects, whether Mm -hmm. that's a sculpture as an object or a a painting or a a drawing as an object, right? It's a physical thing that exists. Because it exists for capitalism, you mean? Is that why you're concerned as an object? Yeah, because it's easily goes into that system right which even is, though yeah. my work is like not being received <laughs> which is ironic right like yeah, i'm yeah. worried about something that's not even <laughs> but i'm not it's not that i'm worried and and so that's why and maybe this is why it's not receptive because i'm always whenever i'm making drawing or um, works on paper or something that's tactile um maybe since the 
the first time I read Paul Chan's text, which I really love, which, which one? he talks, he wrote on Eflux in 2009. It's called What is Art and Where It Belongs. Okay. And I think I've read that one. Yeah. And he talks about like uh, that art is not a thing, essentially. Mm. That's like the whole, the essay is the whole about it, that, yeah. right? And um, because it is more than a background to uh, life. So let's mm. say he said, art doesn't belong at home because if it belongs at ho- home, it's kind of like a, you know, like a decoration to real life, which mm-hmm. is you living in the space, right? Yeah. So, and and I relate that to some uh, another thing that I read about Korean shaman paintings, mm. which are mostly similar to kind of any indigenous um, kind of shamanistic uh, art, which were mostly used for rituals and then destroyed afterwards. So, um, what what I read about Korean shaman paintings that, like in the eighties when when Korean people started to really collect their own art, mm-hmm. um, there was this one Western woman who was studying Korean shamanism and art and went to Korea and asked why they don't collect these shaman paintings because they're so amazing and, and interesting and, yeah. and people were like well they have too much spirit in them it's too much to hang it at home because it has too much energy and mm. they're supposed to be destroyed and they're not destroyed and they're supposed to be hidden or <laughs> buried and yeah. and if it's in a museum it's okay because museums kind of like a grave for art but then yeah, if yeah. you can't bring that into a house because then you're bringing in a spirit Right. so then when I read that I almost felt like wow that's the kind of work i want to make in a way Mm -hmm. that is so powerful that you can't just hang it in a home Mm -hmm. and like you can't like pay money and buy it Mm -hmm. in a way you know what i mean it doesn't belong in that system almost and someone actually almost accidentally told me this when i had my first solo show in korea um this one of my mom's friends. Yeah. Of course, it was my first solo show in Korea. So all my parents' friends came. Yeah, my yeah. friends came. Yeah, yeah. And one of the lady was like, oh, Yujin. And I, I've knew, known her for a few years. Yujin, I really want to buy. I really wanted to buy your work. Um, in this show, I showed works that I made in Berlin, which were all explosive, explosion uh, drawings. Those, those ones I remember, yeah. Yeah. And um, she's like, and then she said, but you know, you know, Korean people have a lot of heat fire inside them Mm -hmm. like i guess the tendency of korean people Mm -hmm. so we can't have more fire at our home (laughs) (laughs) oh boy and i I was like oh okay that's cool yeah 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 (laughs) at the time i just left it off but then all these things that i'm kind of interested in and reading are kind of making these connections yeah yeah. like paul chan's text about this art Mm -hmm. not belonging at home and then the shaman paintings that are too much energy right and then this lady telling me she can't have fire painting at home because there's too much heat and so all of these things are interesting me so whenever I make works on paper or or tactile work, I kind of think about it in a way Mm. like I want to make work that people don't want to hang at home, you know, in a way like it challenges them to, you know, and so that's why I have a lot of, um, figures in my work because someone also told me figures bad in in New York. Actually, when I first, maybe my half a year after I arrived in New York and starting school, a gallery somehow, how do they know me? I don't know. Some through some other people contacted me and said, Oh, really? We're just opening a new gallery in Chelsea. Interested in your work. Want to come do a studio visit? Yeah. They came. And at the time I hung my, um, Berlin, the half, um, half Korean portrait on my wall. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm always thinking about that. I really wanted to finish it. And, and she's like, 
And then a lot of other works were also like masks and mm-hmm. things like that. A lot of faces. Yeah. And she told me that because she saw my explosion drawings and she liked them. Okay. So she asked me, are you going to do more of those? Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, actually, I moved on from them. Right. And I'm now doing more figurative work, more more um, people. Yeah. And, and she said, oh, you know, people are really hard to sell because, you know, no one really wants to hang like a sp- someone... Like if it's an abstracted version of like abstract painting of a person, like Picasso or whatever, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. But if, cause I do a very representational drawing, so yeah. it's a very specific person. Yeah. So then she said, that's really hard to sell. So I said, oh, okay. I'm, I'm, you know, and but that's interesting because, you know, it's a cycle and now the figure's back in. It is, right? but only I would say, I mean, I don't know if this is controversial, but I would say for black artists or mm. for more, that kind of figurative conversation is coming back for a certain group mm-hmm. of artists, I think, still. Mm-hmm. It's still limited. I mean, how many times do you see Asian, like, Asian body, Asian figures in a painting or in a represented, like, like Carrie James Marshall? Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And I thought about this because I, I went to a lecture by Carrie James Marshall in Columbia, and he said something very interesting where he's like, I started drawing these because before he did these kind of uh, representational paintings, he did abstract. And he went back to abstract now. No, yeah, right, I mean he can now, right? Well, yeah, he he's can like, now. I know. But back I remember in the his day, Whitney shows like the at the end it was like two random abstract. I was like, yeah, was in like, the Whitney <laughs> show he had like comics, he had like yeah. all sorts of stuff, yeah. right? It was like a kind of like a wacky show, which I liked. Yeah. But he was saying that like, oh yeah, I was doing all these like abstract, like conceptual work. And then I realized like, I actually want to see some like black bodies in museums, mm-hmm. like the museums that I love, like I rarely see them. And, and my like, I had a goal, like mm-hmm. I had a purpose, I had a goal I, and I worked work towards that and, yeah. and you know very strategically and I thought that was very honest and kind of interesting in a mm-hmm. way and I it made me think about the same thing I said I also if we were to talk about like Asian bodies and Asian narratives and Asian culture right. in general either in Asia or in the west right I mean how much of that do you see in museums in art museums yeah. how much of that narrative is represented right I don't think I've read I don't even remember if I've ever seen Asian. I've seen a lot like from China. Yeah, exactly. I haven't seen any like Asian American or I guess uh, Asian something else. Yeah. who isn't from China making, right. a, making an Asian body. And, and not as not like, um, you know, like a kind of um, not in a what is it? orientalist kind of way you know the only thing that i recently saw was like alice neal she painted these korean american artists and yeah and japanese american art and and very contemporary really powerful portraits of these asian bodies Mm. and i was so Mm. moved when i saw her show in in david turner because i was like wow this is new like yeah yeah i mean but they're all paintings because yeah. Because she did them a while ago. Yeah, yeah. And and that was already, like, shocking to me. You know yeah, what I mean? Because yeah. it's so rare. Yeah. And that's not even, like, painted by Asians yeah, themselves. No, right, it was right. painted by a white woman, right? right? right. So, so it made me think about that. And since then, I think I was more conscious about, okay, I want to... Because in a way, for me, I think the more I... Be, more I practice art, I need really a higher purpose in order mm. to continue making art because in the world that we live in, I just feel like I need to 
be able to contribute back to this world in a meaningful way in what I do. And if I don't find that meaning in art, then I can't just um, just continue doing it just because I like it or just because I'm good. Until you or get just that because... first paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. So yeah. So then yeah. These. So so I do continue making drawings, and I actually recently. When I moved back to Seoul, I had a really tiny little studio. Like, so my desk was really all of my studio. So yeah. I did a lot of collages with newspapers mm-hmm. and smaller works on paper. Right. Um, but still kind of figurative in the sense of, you know, like there were texts and kind of images from the newspaper that are human figures. And so in that way, yeah. But huh. but I I rarely show them. I mean, it's not that I don't want to, but it's almost like no one's interested in it. But I'm still gonna continue making them because I think they're meaningful and they 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 should exist. Yeah. But yeah. Or you know, I I mean, I do think it's a cycle, and eventually they'll come back. You yeah. know, I mean, I think yeah, I do agree. Right now, there's like a revival specifically for the black body. I think the queer body as yeah. well. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Maybe you should ride that wave. Find a, <laughs> find a way to insert yourself. You know. I don't know. But. I mean, for me, and what also, um, it's like, I just feel like these, some things like I can't control, you know, how much, you know, it's yeah, like, you can't. it's timing. It's like, who mm-hmm. you mean, where you are at what time? And, you know, and it's like, it's hard to predict these things, you know, so you just do what you do. And then, yeah, see. yeah. Yeah, that's why on my website, there's no info about them because I mm. feel like they're almost kind of, for me in a way, it's like almost they're personal. They're they're personal, and then also, it doesn't really. I mean, it matters, but it's like because they've been never been shown, and people are not interested. It doesn't matter, like that they, how big they are, or what they're made out of, right. or you know, it's more important for me as an archive that they exist mm-hmm. yeah. in a way. Yeah. yeah, and then this sort of ties in, I think, with my next question. Um, which is this idea of repetition. I noticed you draw a lot of things over and over mm-hmm. again, the explosions, the masks, and this sort of also enters your video work. I think a lot of your earlier video work, I noticed your newer ones, I see it a, a little less, but like um, the 108 bows, you know, that's sort of this repetitive motion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just curious how you view repetition, what the repetition means for you in your work. So recently... Um Repetition has been very important in my work, and I think it has always been important, but I just didn't recognize it as so. And um, I started to think of it as, uh, like, I started to connect it more to labor, the idea of labor, Mm -hmm. and the idea of um, discipline, Mm -hmm. and um, mm, meditation, but I would say less so, but but in, in in that line. So I think it's, so I really like the myth of Sisyphus. Okay. This um, idea of you know you know this kind of existential idea of this is the this is the man who is stuck pushing a rock up yeah. a hill and then the mm-hmm. and then the rock falls down. He's doing it every day, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Camus, the French um, philosopher who wrote a book that's titled Myth of Sisyphus, I really like, mm-hmm. and his conclusion basically of this book is that you have to. Um, imagine Sisyphus happy, that he's happy, that he has a purpose of rolling this rock to, in up. In order to accept the story, you mean? 
um or, right right for, for like i guess in a way that um you know the whole thing about existentialist is kind of it's kind of um in a way a little bit pessimistic mm-hmm. but i felt like this book was different because it ended in this like weird happy note he's okay. like his last paragraph basically literally said like you have to imagine him happy because every time he rolled that rock up is different from the next one okay. or the previous one yeah, yeah so so that there is still purpose in this repetition yeah and, and there it's like a weird huh. mind game right yeah, <laughs> yeah. and i sometimes think of life that's why i'm always seeking purpose because it's like otherwise i'm just i let's say for very ordinary average people we go to we we wake up we go to work we eat we sleep we have sex we go to we sleep we wake up we eat we Mm -hmm. we, uh, i don't know like this kind of it's it's basically what people do right Mm -hmm. and um i think i think i need something more than that but in the in the in the sense that it's not gonna be something grand that like mm-hmm. oh I, I was I was born to do this or whatever yeah maybe I was just born to put like roll the rock up but yeah. still I need to kind of bring my own sense of purpose in that role this this particular roll up the rock is this way right, or right. that you know what I mean like mm-hmm. and so in that sense I think and and also because I was trained in a in terms of art training, I was trained in a very rote kind of mm-hmm. way. Like I drew basically same um, still life over for like and over and over. three years. So Asian. It's very Asian. <laughs> it's so Asian. Like still life <laughs> portraits and um, like those Roman busts. Okay, yeah. Right? So mm-hmm. these are the three things that we put. <laughs> the most boring subjects ever. And I think it changed today, but at least my generation, it was still like that. Mm. In Korea, it's changed. I think now mm. college application became more like the US where it's more portfolio and right, kind of right. they're trying to test your imagination and yeah. creativity. Yeah, Even yeah. though the whole idea of testing creativity is already kind of... It's weird ironic yeah, <laughs> it's like how it's do you weird. test creativity but um we're giving a grade yeah or getting a grade yeah. and so i'm kind of feeling like at the time i hated it but um, there's something quite interesting in that um idea in a, in a way like recently i've been thinking a lot about like tibetan Tibetan sand mandalas. Mm-hmm. I've seen it once live in high school. It's beautiful. It's very beautiful. It's very, um, it requires a lot of labor and a lot of, you know, kind of discipline. And, and then it's gone. And then it's gone. Yeah. And a lot of time. And then you do it, you build it together. There's right, always right. at least four. Mm-hmm. So it's like four corners or more like six or eight. Right, right. Um, monks making it together. And they go like in rounds, right? Uh-huh. And um it's almost like the kind of collective making and collective time spent in making together right. is very meaningful already that in the end they sweep it off, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's something very beautiful about that. And that's kind of where I'm more heading towards in terms of thinking about repetition. Mm, like I in, like that analogy. Yeah. But it's like not in the typical sense of like Buddhist meditation, but it's more in the sense of labor, I think. It has to, I think, I feel like I, I could connect it more to like, um, like it, it might be a stretch, but more to like Marxist 
thoughts mm -hmm. than to like Buddhist thought in okay. a way, because I think that's a whole another, that kind of Buddhist meditation and idea of repetitive um, uh, kind of meditative training is not the same Western logic as we think of in terms of repetition and labor. Yeah. yeah. And labor. It's right. a whole another bodily experience, Yeah, but I'm really talking more and it's about a way of living. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of the idea that there's no separation really between this kind of body, mind and like, um, like your breath and all that. And, but what I'm talking about, I guess, in my practice in terms of how visually it appears in my work and also in the process is more in that Western context of labor, I think. Mm. Yeah. And so would you say there's, do you look to like, you know, early performance art repetition as somehow related or you think you're coming at it from a different angle? Mm, I think I'm coming in from a different angle. I mean, what specifically are you talking about in terms of early performance? I mean, you've got like Bruce Nauman just right. touching each corner of a square for an hour. Right, 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 know, right. Uh, stuff like that. Yeah, I think... I think in a way, the thing about, let's say, going back to Tibetan uh, Tibetan Sen Mandala is that you are essentially de dedicated to building this specific image. It's not like some kind of like, it's not nihilistic in the sense of um, Bruce Nauman's kind of, it's like you, when you see Bruce Nauman's thing, you'll be like, why would you do that for hours? <laughs> yeah. Like there's like a question from the beginning and that question is the important one, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think in terms of Buddhist um, Samandala, you would never question why they would do it because you were mesmerized mm. by what they're doing already. There's a beauty inherent in that labor. Right, right, as right. As opposed to it being an anti-aesthetic. Right, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's not, um, so it's kind of carrying both, I think. Right. And that's why it's more powerful that they, they destroy it at the end. Mm -hmm. And almost as a viewer, you're so attached to it that you feel so, you feel uncomfortable that it's being destroyed. Like, right. I had that experience when I first saw it and a lot of people did. They're like, why does it have to, why can't well, yeah. we just like keep it? And why can't we like make it still or pour like <laughs> resin on top or whatever, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. to, it just, to, it's hard to accept that, accept that reality at the end because you went through with it together. Right, Whereas right. Bruce Nauman, you question it from the beginning together. Mm, that's, Whereas, good, that's a good distinction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a little bit of a difference. Um, yeah. Because I'm not, because if I were to do that, it would be more like, so I really like this uh, uh, work that um, Rauschenberg did of erasing the Kuni. Yeah, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. that piece you'll be like, from the beginning, you would question with him in the process, right, right. not at the end. Right, right, um, right. You actually kind of have more like a cathartic, I think, acceptance at the end with that because it's like because you question it from the beginning and it's almost like the myth was built from the beginning. Yeah, and it's it's building off previous myth in, this, in that right. case, the Koning, right? Right, and so right, it's right. like, you know, he's it's an erasure of history, whereas... Yeah. I don't know why Bruce Nauman chose a square. <laughs> uh, probably just that's what he felt like at the day. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. But so then, have you destroyed works? Have you had that feeling of sacrifice at the end? Well, what I did re very recently, I had a show in Korea, um, a group show, and I the curator wanted to show the masks, the mm. twenty seven masks I did here, yeah. but in a row, like in a in a in a block. Yeah. Um, and I said, okay, I'll think about it. I have the work. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, it's not interesting to show the same work again in yeah. a way. So I said, I always wanted to, because I 
it's the great thing about I make a lot of prints and great thing about prints is that you have multiples so you can play with them in yeah, a way with the yeah. same image the same quality of the quality of the image so then um, I said you know like I had this idea you know I did the cut prints cut masks mm-hmm. I cut them vertically and, 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 then, and then you combine different com- sections of yeah I combine mm-hmm. them like two three masks together so it will be like two three faces mixed right and I said you know I have 27 masks and I always thought I wanted to cut it like in in four in four and then kind of rearrange it rearrange it so then you have four masks making a one singular circular mask Mm -hmm. because the other way that i did that when i cut it vertically the mask kind of expanded sideways Mm -hmm. so some people didn't see it as a face because it was too wide you know visually Mm, i see so so i wanted to like kind of get over that and make it more like a mask in the sense like if you put four different corners of different masks together you still have one eye from this mask, one eye from that mask, and some part of the nose and a mouth. So it's right, like right. you can kind of build a face. Right. So I like that idea. And then, um, so then I, I cut it and then I displayed it that way. Did you have a sort of heart-wrenching feeling as you cut it? Actually, I didn't because I had a lot of them. And, <laughs> okay. and I had fun doing it. But at the same time, um, I like that they become, I, I like that they were destroyed in, in certain, in, to a certain amount, right? Right, right. And, and little side note to that is I'm kind of um superstitious person, I guess. But so I had 27 masks, right? I made 27 because at the time I was 27. It was very like it's arbitrary. Very, it's a very special number. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I divided them by four, it the total amount of blocks was 108. Uh-huh. And I did the 108 bows because 108 has a meaning in Buddhist rituals. Was that, was that 108? An accident after you made, or you? you it knew? was coincidence. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, right. right it was right. a total coincidence. I was like, I was kind of shocked in a way that like, how can this be? <laughs> like, how can this be hundred eight? I don't get it. Anyway, it's just like a little side note. But that's, that's nice. So were you able to show the hundred and eight bows with it? I never thought about that. But I, hmm. I, the thing is, again, another side note. Um, some of them are sold. <laughs> Oh, okay. So the great thing about this is that you can sell them in units. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not that again, like I previously talked about not selling, but then like somehow this collector I used to know in Berlin, he saw one of my posts or whatever. He's like really into it. He wanted to like pick and choose his own mask and like yeah. combinations or whatever. And so some of them are sold. So they're not 108 anymore mm. <laughs> together, but in the world. Right, in there's the world. 108. There's 108. And yeah. he asked me, are you going to, is this an addition? Is there more? And I said, no, there's only going to be this 108 box and so, they were attached to like wooden um mdf blocks so right right there were literally like blocks of masks mm-hmm. um yeah but then that that um work was very well received in certain ways because i think to people faces are very something that people relate to in a way yeah and again even though the galleries that came here said oh people are not gonna buy portraits or whatever but i think it's it's not always true. People are very yeah. interested in representation of other people, like so, whether yeah. that's photography For all or of history. Yeah, all of history. So I think there was something. Really, uh, so then I thought a lot about, oh, this idea of deconstructing old work is quite interesting because mm. it became a completely different work. And it, it kind of the work evolved with the way that I was evolving as an artist, right? right, The old work, like at the time I thought this and I make this, but then yeah. I kind of see it differently now or I kind of see it in a 
with another layer. So then I'm going to take that and then change it. And now I'm really into that idea because I decided to um, cut down another work that I made a while ago, another explosion work Uh that are... um, I actually only shown this body of work once in, in Bulgaria and then I was never able to show them. It's very big. And so I'm, I've, I've cut them in like um, blocks of nine. Right. So then the it's actually initially a landscape, that mm. like a big landscape. Yeah. But it's now going to be kind of broken down landscape that mm. could be mixed up so I that see. different um, explosions will be like attached to different other explosions. Right, and right. I think it's a, it's more definitely more interesting work now with that. And the thing that I could do it is because I have the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so I'm kind of seeking opportunity to show that work, which I think is also relative to today's context with the whole conversation with North Korean stuff, the nuclear stuff, the threat and the whole thing um but we'll see yeah so i think i have like i'm like looking through my old works thinking like what can i like cut down That's <laughs> and good. like deconstruct and like make it into something that i feel is more relevant today yeah you know if it's just gonna be rolled up in my studio why not um, yeah yeah you know take it out and and i recently had to start with my video also because the work that i'm working on right now by my grandfather i've been shooting for like past two and a two years Really? Almost. So you have yeah. a lot of footage. I have a lot of footage. I just started editing like a year ago. I started editing like a few months ago. I did more more edits. But every time I edit, I feel like it's a different work. Mm-hmm. You know, and every time you, you time, can go down a rabbit hole. With yeah. Editing. And every time I t- uh, like time goes by and I experience more things, it becomes this whole other thing. And, yeah. and then I was actually talking to Rickard about this. I yeah. said, you know, record. I have really hard time finishing this video, and actually, one of my friend is creating a group show this fall in Brooklyn, and she said, "Okay, I want to include this video. Uh, maybe you can finish it by then." You know, it's always nice to have a deadline. So I said, "Okay, this is my this is a good thing for me. I yeah. have a deadline." Yeah. And I told him that as I have a deadline, and and then he says something like, "Well, if the, if this work is so important to you, why do you want to rush it like that?" You know. And then I thought about it, and I thought. It's true. Like, I don't want to rush it, actually. And then I thought about another artist who says something in a, that I like, Aki Sasamoto. Do you know her? Mm-mm, no. Performance artist, Japanese. I'll look her up. Yeah, she's very, her work is very, very interesting. Also coming from a very personal narrative, very narrative work, like performance with a lot of storytelling. And she said once that she only, her materials for her work are all personal, but then it only comes when the memory of it is dead inside her she said if the memory is still so alive and you feel so much you have so much feelings or whatever about that experience that memory then it's still alive in you so you can't really use it as a material Mm. that's what she said for her work you know that's interesting and i find that so interesting and then because i know this Uh i feel like I can never finish this video, like <laughs> yeah, until with those, with those two facts, right? Until <laughs> I mean, this is horrible, but until like I mean, I still have relationship with my grandfather. I mm. still he's still a part of my life and my fa- our family, and so and then I and then I came to this point where like okay, Rick Chris said don't show it, don't rush it, and then this I remember this other artist I really admire said okay, if it, the memory's still alive, you're not supposed to make it into work, yeah, yeah, <laughs> for, for herself. And so then, but then I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to go either way that, Mm -hmm. 
And then I thought about all the works that I was kind of remaking and thought, I mean, this work can be like forever evolving thing, you know, yeah. I can show, but I can say this is in progress. Yeah, and this and artists is a, do that all the time. Yeah, artists do that all the time. This is the stage it's at right now, Yeah, you know, and it's going to change. But yeah. this is where I am at with this project. Right. And it could be every time I show it could be kind of like that. So yeah. almost like it's one work, but it's also multiple work at the same time. Right, right. Yeah. So I think I'm thinking more along that line in terms of. Yeah, deconstructing my work or yeah. how my work evolves. I've been sort of doing that because I've, I've collected all this video footage over the years and I have all this footage where like the way at least I edit it is like I'll look at everything and then I'll make different folders like acceptable footage, not acceptable footage. And then mm -hmm. when I have all the acceptable footage, I'll then compile that into a video, but obviously not everything makes it into the final piece. Yeah. So I still have all this acceptable footage, which hasn't been used yet. Right, right. So I'm also sort of like going back and seeing if it's even possible because yeah. all, they all come from different projects. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and you know, like I've also had, like I, I did this collaborative work with the, another artist during Columbia and I... Nicole? We, yeah, Nicole. And we shot a lot of footage. Shot a lot of footage and... There were so many interesting footage that didn't make it to the 30 minute video that yeah. we finished at the end. So I used it for my, I said, I want to use it as for my drawings and yeah. the stills. And she's like, go ahead and use it. And so I'm still kind of taking stills from those videos and making small drawings or whatever. And yeah. I think, I don't know. I think the work kind of never dies in that way, you know, in certain ways yeah. for artists. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I saw a lot of videos with you and Nicole Maloof, right? Is yeah. that how you say Maloof? Yeah. I think first one I guess that struck me was same indifference I think that was the one where I think I saw the most amount of text that was explicitly explicitly tackling I guess both your and Nicole's identity yeah yeah um, I was curious how that came about and also how you shifted towards I guess ex um, tackling those topics because there's definitely a shift I noticed once you got in Columbia whereas before it seemed like with the explosions, you're sort of talking about it, but wasn't as explicit. Mm -hmm. And how you decided to make that shift? I think it's it was contextual in a way. Like when I was in Berlin, like the conversations were different. Mm. And when I came to New York, this conversation was, I mean, now I'm thinking... Was it voluntary that I like got into this conversation here in New York, or was it that like I was just placed there because of who I am? Right. You know, and maybe it's both. And um, so in Berlin, I, you know, I felt more, in a weird way, more free to do work that kind of like that I'm just interested in without thinking about these social implications or context in certain ways. And those explosion works in. Um, some critics that I, um, some independent curators, I have been criticized for, for this specific reason. Someone pointed out that they think it's, um, like they question the legitimacy of my usage of these images, mm. you know? And I find that criticism very interesting in a way. And I didn't at the time have a, um, I didn't have really good answer for them and for myself, right? you know, and, and that's why I stopped making them in a way. Mm. I stopped making them because I felt like, and, and then that's the point when I said, okay, like I never want to get this 
question again of legitimacy, you know? Mm-hmm. And so well, that's... And it will never go away. <laughs> uh, yeah, it will never go away. Yeah. But at least it'll be on your own terms. Right. And you can answer it in the way that you want it to be answered. Exactly. And, and that's why I kind of like decided to do works that are more really coming from my own like first-hand experience mm-hmm. like primary experiences right, right, right. because that whole um actually the whole concept of that explosion drawing was that there are so many of these secondary experiences that are a big part of our lives yeah. like today especially with internet and yeah. things like that so i wanted to talk about that secondary experience that distance yeah, the experience yeah. of distance how it impacts us yeah. but i think it's uh i don't know i think i wasn't really in certain ways, maybe I failed in the work or whatever, or some people didn't really see it. Yeah. And so then I kind of turned and went went into more like, okay, then I'll I'll just focus on my primary experience. That's, then, I, that's so fascinating. I feel like I went through the same thing, mm, right? Because yeah. while you're making those explosion paintings, I was drawing just images from the Arab Springs, mm. right? And then I, oh yeah, you right? do, yeah. And I but I didn't know how to because I wanted to talk about. I think now I realized I wanted to talk about myself. I didn't know how to talk about myself. So it was Mm. easier for me to talk about something that was sort of related to social issues. That was about either a disenfranchised group or something without having to talk about myself. But it wasn't, I think until, oh, I found my voice that I realized that I need to talk about myself and I can't really talk about other things as easy. Oh, I don't, people do, but I find it's usually difficult and not as strong. Yeah. Yeah. So, so... I mean, I think, I think a lot of people, I, I, I admit to it and a lot of people think I'm very stubborn, but I, I think some criticism, if, if it really comes to me, I accept it. <laughs> and then I, We're all stubborn as artists. Yeah. And I think, I think that was a kind of like a departing point. And, and so, so then when I came to New York, I just, I've already decided, you know, I've already decided um, when I was about to leave Berlin because going into that kind of mix, um, half Korean friends portraits. And I did the 108 bow was my, the last work I made in Berlin and doing this kind of work kind of already, I was making that shift. Mm-hmm. But, um, in New York, of course, contextually was like even more like people Crazy, yeah. only wanted you to talk about who yeah. you are, yeah. like, especially for minority artists, I think, because yeah. your, your story is not, you can, your story could never be universal. You know, in a no, way. No, no, yeah. Yeah, so so you have to be, you have to talk specifically to your experience. Even though a lot of white artists also talk about their own specific experience, their experience is considered universal. So it's like, mm-hmm, yeah. it can be about everybody. Like, it's like, in like white, white art, canvas, yeah. right? Like, it can be anything. It's but Tennessee like Youngman said, if you're a white artist, you draw a flower, it can be just a flower. But if you're anyone else, become something else. Right, exactly. So, so then I was in that context and then I met Nicole, who's, Korean adoptee and I've never met a Korean adoptee in my life. Maybe I have and they never told me or, but I, I've never known one. Um, and so we kind of, and we, our studios were very close in school. And um, I think there was a initial curiosity about each other from the beginning. Um, and then the like a funny backstory is that like people, you know, when you first go to school, like it's hard to remember names and oh, they stuff. Mixed you two yeah. Up. yeah, they mix because we're very similar heights <laughs> yeah. and we um like very similar fi- a, a figure. And yeah. I mean, she was wearing glass and I wasn't, but yeah. still, you know. So so yeah. then, <laughs> yeah. so then we thought we find it very funny. You know, we, yeah. we didn't take it offensive or whatever. We just kind of like 
laughed it off and then kind of said, okay, maybe we should kind of make work about this. And one after first year, that summer, we started kind of having conversations mm. and we started recording our conversations. Right, right. We thought maybe this could be something interesting. Right, right. And then that, that conversation kind of led to the project, that the Same Difference project, where we wanted to kind of tackle this issue um, in in work. And at the, sa- at the time, we both kind of was interested in making more videos mm. so we wanted to also try that there were a lot of things that we wanted to try i mean we were in school so yeah, we yeah, yeah. and we had all the equipment yeah, we had yeah. we had travel funding so she traveled with me to korea and mm. we um, you made that piece half moon which i really enjoyed yeah half moon was inspired by that experience of making that first video because half moon is oh, actually difference. yeah okay half moon is actually my work it's not oh, collaborative okay, okay. yeah and I, but it was made for a, a show that we put together collaboratively. Mm. After we graduated, we said there were five Koreans in the program at the time. Like, I mean, Nicole isn't Korean, she's American. And, um, but then three other Koreans. So we said, okay, let's do a show together in Korea. Let's just yeah. do like a very, you know, like just to be motivated. You know, we we're out of school. And right, so, right. so we des- decided to make work about like in the larger theme of language and mm. language and identity. Right. And then, so I asked Nicole, like, you know, I really kind of want to work, make work about your relationship with my mom mm. and me in the being in the middle. Right. And that was like the premise. And she said, oh, yeah, I'll do whatever if you want to. So then I kind of end up making that work. Right. But it was completely inspired by my experience of making work with her, right. traveling with her to, because when she, when we were making Same Difference, she lived in my parents' house with me apartment mm. with me there were a lot of conflicts between my mom and nicole because of language difference and my mom kind of not she expect her to speak korean mm-hmm. not only speak korean i mean she kind of very fast accepted that she doesn't speak korean nicole doesn't speak korean but she couldn't it, it was really hard for her to accept that she didn't act like korean you know like yeah when mm-hmm. we are preparing for dinner like koreans will if you're younger, come and like set the, you know, the unspoken rules, Yeah, the unspoken rules, which is even harder than language. Yeah. So how Mm -hmm. do you expect that of someone when that person doesn't even speak the language? And I think it had to do with, of course, how you look like she just considered her as Korean. Right. And that, you know, that she should learn or want to be Korean because that's so complicated. It's so complicated. (laughs) We had a really, dramatic conversation not dramatic like very emotional conversation where nicole like cried and talked about her experience meeting her mom and how because she rarely she oh she met her real mom in korea yeah like this was not when we were shooting this was like before she came to colombia she went on a fulbright um uh, teaching scholar to korea so she lived in korea for two years but like a small town outside of uh daegu so and she was in a, a host family situation. And at the time, the host family helped her find her mother. Wow. And it wasn't that difficult, luckily for her, because her mom really wanted to this to happen like mm. that. So they wrote down numbers and everything. You know, for some family, they don't want right, to. Right, right, right. It's like a forgotten history. So it was just a matter of if Nicole wanted to meet them, yeah. it would be connected. Wow. So, but then she never, when we first talked about it, I was really shocked because... Again, I was also in my own prejudice thinking like, this is such an emotional thing. Like, how can you talk about it and not without, you know, but she talked about it in a very casual way, like, like no emotional, like mm. in the face it was like, well, it was, you know, I met her. 
that was that you yeah. know and i was kind of like so confused i was like was it an emotional wall that to protect yourself i think yourself? so yeah i mm. think so and and i realized that in back in korea because we were going through this kind of struggle with my right. mom it's in the kind of of the motions of yeah sort of and i was really stressed because my mom was just expressing all her frustration <laughs> to me because she could only communicate to me <laughs> so then i exploded once to nicole i was like okay nicole like Blah, 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 blah. Oh, and then I kind of like raised my voice a little bit for a silly thing. And then the whole conversation unfolded oh, that, you know, there's like that. It's not that she's not feeling anything. It's that like, you know, we're still getting to know each other yeah, yeah. and she doesn't know. I mean, of course, we're friends and we trust each other. But it's like for something that emotional, that personal, it was kind of like, how do you open up? Like opening that up is like opening a whole lot mm-hmm. of, you know, so she said you know there's like for her also she's not an emotional person in general and so all these things so i thought in the end like i find that video to be actually um inadequate to like everything that i experienced from making that video yeah because i think the video was that video or you mean video in general is no the same difference video because i feel like my experience Mm -hmm. going through of making that video was so much more emotional and complex but the video kind of had to be we want the sterile we want it to be more general Mm -hmm. in a way which now i think back at it i think we should have gone more personal than but at the time we read that's why there's a lot of interviews we really wanted to be kind of this documentary style like um collective uh stories coming right. together you know and making this like larger like kind of like stepping away from that personal experience right, right. almost it was it seemed like you're trying to find meaning from from a sort of academic conversation right right even though like i now that i look back i feel like it could have been more emotional more personal but at the time when we released it so many people especially asian asian americans responded to the video in a very positive manner and they were like very supportive and they like are we because the thing was it was 30 minutes long and it was in a gallery setting so all the professors were like it's too long they were you probably pissed 10 minutes make it 10 <laughs> minutes i'm like we can't make this video 10 minutes. <laughs> so how, did, how did that work out? We wanted to make it like 50 minutes. So how did that, how, so what happened? So, so we just did it. We just did, okay, we, we just, we're just going to do it. We just, it's going to be 35 minutes. Oh, it's going to be in a, in a yeah. box, in a kind of contained box where people can sit if they want and people can leave. Yeah. But it's like, it's not like an exposed space. Mm-hmm. So there's some kind of intimacy. And we find out a lot of people who are interested stayed, yeah. actually stayed through the whole thing. Yeah. And, and people who are kind of like on interested in the topic kind of like came in and out so so then i was kind of like you're trying to figure out your audience yeah in a way in a way i realized that there is an audience for this Mm -hmm. in a way and 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 there is an audience not only that there is an audience but there's an audience that's waiting for this kind of work Mm -hmm. so so that made us feel really good because after we presented it at thesis we did a performance at the jewish museum like one night performance i saw pictures of it i was curious about that yeah and it was more like a lecture style live performance only seven minutes long with like kind of like a slide thing coming up in the background then we're doing dialogue yeah and we also got great response from that one too it was more even more didactic than the same difference video it was not subtle at all but in a way we kind of because at the time when we made the same difference video a lot of the non-minority artists or whoever saw the video at school they were kind of like 
it's too didactic. Like yeah, you're yeah. trying to, yeah. are you trying to teach us like whatever, like, you know, and we were like, we weren't trying to teach anybody. And we we're just trying to share it, share this kind of collective experience right, or right, idea. Right, like, right. Like, but I think people took it that way. And I, we wanted to play with that idea of like didactic art, mm-hmm. you know, like, let, let like what because we personally didn't think that the work was didactic so we said okay let's do one that's really didactic and yeah, see yeah, like yeah, what people yeah. so then we kind of did and then this. and did that divide the non-minority and minority opinions about the work even more then so at, at the jewish museum i um there was even more stronger like positive response from that asian asian american community or um like minority artists mm-hmm. but I don't think we've gotten like any response from yeah. like, you know, I wonder about this a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's audience. an interesting thing. Like you're kind of serving your community in certain ways, yeah, um, which is very meaningful. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know, like sometimes you feel like your story is also not just about like being Asian in per se, but, but kind of this idea of belonging to like, like belonging and not belonging. It's like a gen, it's more universal and general thing, like human feeling of connecting to each other. And I always say my, my collaboration with Nicole essentially really is about intimacy, mm. like intimacy between two human beings. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and in this case, we also have work that we like started, but did never finished, which right. was about, which is kind of about intimacy and sexuality and friendship kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Because, I always say like intimacy is only in today's context, I feel like is really only allowed between like um, romantic mm. relationships. Like you're not like in Korea, you know, I used, I mean, we oh, still every, do it in. Everyone holds hands. That was yeah, the first thing Korea, I noticed. Like, like man and man, woman and woman, yeah. man and woman in a way that doesn't have to be sexual. Yeah. I, I still, when I go back to Korea, close friends, we, we would hold hands in the street or we would like, mm-hmm. you know, arm in arms. Very common. Yeah. Yeah. Um, more common when I was younger. I think we are more affected by the Western ways. Really? You know? Yeah. I, mm. I mean, I don't know. I see a little bit less, but maybe I also don't live there that much, but. That's interesting. Um, I always found that fascinating. Yeah. And I really always loved it. You know, it's like, there's something about like, um, kind of that, like physical intimacy. Mm-hmm. Touch, I mean, it's, yeah. it's very, um, tricky with, with the whole, like me too thing going on today. Like yeah. with the, cause yeah. people are more like kind of, um, guarded on in terms of boundaries right right right. but i really if if there's a trust like if you know this person well and there's like um you know then then i think there's not there's it only it would only allow more depth to the relationship than not Mm -hmm. and so oftentimes i feel like let's say and i mean again in this today's context it's very tricky but i always feel like especially like when i was for example, I was working for a German artist in Berlin and he used to say like, you know, professors, like they never took in German schools. I mean, he's like a way, he's like another generation, but like, like didn't want to take female artists in because they always got in trouble with like, you know, whatever. And I feel like you say that here too. Yeah. And, and here too, like same thing, say like my professors told me that, oh, I would never go after, let's say crit or whatever. Like you could go grab a beer or whatnot. I mean, you're These in are Columbia students. Yeah. Professors. You're in grad mm-hmm. school. You're not like undergrad. You're like old enough. You're, yeah. you know, like, like he was like, I don't want any of like complications. Yeah. And, 
and I know for a fact, especially in the art world, like you go out, have a drink, you get some like whatever, and then you talk more deep about your work or art yeah. or the world or whatever you bond. And then the opportunities or to get to know each other, first of all, yeah. is there. And then something else could happen from that too, right? right? right, right. So all these opportunities are... or not opportunities in terms of work, but like opportunities to know each other, that kind of building that intimacy is already blocked socially. Mm -hmm. yeah. And especially also, I think it happens in friendships too. Like, you know, I don't know. I think it's kind of almost prohibited that you become intimate with your friend. Mm -hmm. Like that word intimacy is like rarely used except for romantic right. cases. So I really think that this work that I was doing with Nicole was about that mm -hmm. in a way, because I really, really felt like the whole process was for me to like, I'm really curious about this person, who this person is and where she comes from and right. what she's thinking, why she's thinking this way and right, how right. this impact the way I think. And it was about all these questions about mm -hmm. like digging into this person's brain and body and this, you know, whole being, you know, existence. Right. But no one saw it like that. I, I didn't see it until you said, <laughs> just to be honest, I, 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 I watched your videos. I didn't, think of it in terms of that yeah i mean the I'm, video is like i don't know yeah maybe i mean there's some parts of us having a conversation that leads to like places where we talk uh, to, towards the end where we talk about you know this idea of death and like this mm -hmm. idea of you know this kind of getting into more of that like um abstract field of thought mm -hmm. like these it's almost like these two brains thinking instead of these two bodies thinking. yeah 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 so but then again like i think the work is um it's what it is for that time that we had and that context but it could be something definitely more right right yeah. right after that response did you um i guess readjust um accordingly or did you try to purposely make it less didactic to increase the other crowd of non-minorities or or maybe you just didn't care <laughs> I mean, I think about this a lot, right? And I think um, sometimes I feel like the way I don't care about certain formalist work that specifically white people are interested in, sometimes I think it's the same relationship as white people being not interested in identity politics. I see. You know, so like sometimes I'm like, it's a lost cause. I think a lot of this about a lot about it too after seeing like Get Out mm. because Get Out was so uncompromising. It was mm. not trying to win anyone mm. over who, who wasn't already mm. aware of what it was talking mm. about. So if you didn't know about it, it didn't care. It like basically said fuck you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I I found it was so powerful because it did that. Yeah. Like yeah. if it tried to win over the crowd that it was criticizing, the movie would be so different. Mm, anyway, yeah, it's something yeah. I think a lot about and so that's mm -hmm. why I was asking that question yeah I think Get Out is like a really successful version of like what we're all trying to do in a way right yeah. tell your, our own story that is very powerful and important but in a manner that's not compromising but at the same time that like, you can't ignore you can't possibly ignore it right right, right. yeah because I think Get Out I mean I think a it, it was very successful in theaters, no? A lot of I th people... I think it made a lot of money. Yeah, I think it made a lot of money. So it was like... It wasn't like an... Un it wasn't only like black audience or whatever. I think it was pretty... I think the balance was really good with in, in that film. I still think that film is like super... Like 
like really like something I just, I just rewatched it recently i think it's yeah. really something like it brought that kind of hollywood narrative to another level yeah which wasn't recognized in awards i think but um but i see uncompromising because i talk to a lot of white people and they just don't get it oh really i don't know i don't but but you know there was a joke of saying like what white people like white liberals they're like oh i watched get out twice that's like a joke i like, haven't seen that i i would assume that that means <laughs> out there but maybe they don't get it but they have they're like yeah they say, they'll say like, it anyway yeah right yeah. yeah that's like a funny i think joke that was yeah um, i think we we always talk about like i mean we have we had so many more projects that we you know apply to things and whatever since school yeah um that like, haven't materialized and never came into yeah. life. There's so many ideas that we had about how do we expand this. Yeah. But it was, you know, just maybe our thing was weak or whatever. It was just like hard to get opportunity. Yeah. But um, actually, we are going to show a work that we did after school. We went to, we traveled to Chiang Mai together and we did. You visit Rick Rick? Right. Uh, we went to Rickard's house. We yeah. stayed there, and then we visited his land, the land project. And it was, it was, it was he has a residency there, right? Yeah, he has a residency there. It's kind of like not like really running officially. Like, okay, this is this is like uh, insider note. Okay, I don't know. I don't know if I should say this or not, but I think Rickard's not like hiding it or whatever. But you literally can't really stay in the land yet because the land is like there's one farmhouse where like yeah, there's some there's a you know, like toilet and stuff like that. And if you want to camp out there, you can, but it's like, it's really almost kind of like a, there are architectural structures, but they're not. Has it been really developed? To no, be above, no. Yeah. So, so a lot of curators go there just to see it. It's a project, you know, it's like, it's almost like this kind of like, um, what do you call it? Like a utopian vision that is kind of existing in this like, yeah non-livable way yet i think there are a lot of plans and there is a farmer who always who lives there right a couple with the, with the kid and they yeah. do different like projects in their own like because they're always there so they have this kind of connection right. to the land and right, literally right. but it's really not a place for someone who's coming for like a month or like in so the residence were, were, you, were you camping out then no so we were staying at rickard's house because oh. rickard's house is actually more of like the unofficial inofficial unofficial residency because okay. if you tell like, like you say like your record student or whatever i want to come stay in Chiang Mai for you can there's a lot of rooms in his house it's mostly empty there's a big studio i mean he has studio assistants who's always there and he did run like an unofficial residency there for a little bit like some of his students did do residency right, and right, put right. it in the cv or whatever yeah. but it really wasn't it was his house yeah and if he wanted the, yeah. to go and he would never but say nowadays no. you can have a residency anywhere exactly so 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 we were basically doing that we were there yeah. staying at a house yeah. we went to see see the land and then the, his assistants would took us around and show us in Chiang Mai the art scene or whatever yeah yeah but so we we were there and I also invited the my like his song, my ex, he came oh, and, he did? Okay. and it was because we wanted to do this photo project because at the time I was really interested in early photography and colonial photography. So we wanted to do a project that is kind of like um, not inspired by that, but like, I guess, commenting on that history mm -hmm. of photography. Yeah. But this work, again, was also never shown. And recently I was talking to Rickard and I visited Bangkok and I met... Um, he has a, this kind of gallery there he runs with other artists and 
and they offered to show this work. Awesome. This so we're gonna do a show next year. You and Hisong. No, me. Uh, so it's gonna be work that taken by Hisong, but it's gonna be more like me and Nicole's okay. work as artists, and then it will be like photographed by Hisong. Okay. So it's kind of like he's part of it, but right, not right. as a main thing. Right, yeah. Right, right. So so for that, we're gonna show um, again like deconstructed version of these photographs. Because that's kind of where my headset is right now. Right, and we right, talked right. about it. And I always share my thoughts with her. And right. she's kind of like on the board with it. And then we, we, we will do some kind of performance. Because awesome. I think there is like a strong element of performance in the photographs. Right, right. So because it's kind of idea of doubling and twinning and right. mirroring and right, right. these two bodies mm-hmm. as one. So there's that project that's actually going to happen. So... <laughs> Like the last time you worked together was the Jewish Museum, which was 2015. So it's going to be like four years four later, years, yeah. right? So yeah. I don't know. It could be interesting. I yeah. Think. yeah. I mean, and I, I, the only thing I had left was I just, I just been watching your newer videos. Mm. I, I love the one you did in Jeju, actually. Mm-mm-mm. I think that's, I think that's my favorite one, but it's so oh. different because I felt like it was the most personal or they're all personal because you had the one with your brother. But I think that one emotively seemed the most, the way it was shot, Mm-mm-mm. the story about it. And it was also yeah. silly. And then you had a, you're following a little kid, Mm-mm-mm. which is, it creates a certain emotion. And I guess when I was watching it, it, you know, it brought up again, audience. And I was wondering if each piece you pick a different audience. Because mm. I was I was watching it and like the whole time they were talking about like putting makuli to put it in the tree. I'm like... I'm pretty sure most people don't know what makgeolli is. Makgeolli oh. is is like a white is a white wine, right? Or right. A, a rice rice wine in mm-hmm. Korea, and but I was like that context is stripped, right? Mm. And I thought it was interesting that you, because the whole funniness of that is like I don't even know how scientific that was, you know. <laughs> but I was just like I was just thinking about it. it's like if someone said let's put some vodka in and that will help the trees, you know. But um, but then it switches because I was as I was going through different videos like the three channel video that you did Mm-mm. like that one i had the hardest time watching because i didn't know the context of it at all yeah, yeah. you didn't have any description and also the language kept it seemed like the language kept switching sometimes you have subtitles other times it, yeah. you didn't have subtitles yeah. um and i was curious how you made those distinctions or maybe it just comes with the piece and naturally Mm-mm. so the the newest two videos is like for me it's like I still feel like they're evolving because I'm still thinking about them. Like the, especially the Jeju videos, actually like a little bit of a turning point for me in terms of video, because I'm that video really happened um, unplanned. Like yeah, I was it, at this it, residency. It feels like that. Yeah, I was at this residency, and we were literally just playing together. And I just find her so, like She's it was kind of like a. <laughs> like a magical realism kind of like context almost my experience of it. So I almost felt like this was unreal that mm-hmm. she was playing in this context like this with that dress and all that but it was like nothing was set up yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. naturally like that yeah. and so 
like I had to take videos and I just took videos because I, and then the kid was so that right in front of the video because I took it with my phone and these days kids are like oh they're taking video of me and so they're gonna like, act they're, out yeah they're like yeah. whatever like I'm just gonna you know um, I guess I think I'm pretty like they think I'm pretty or you know <laughs> yeah. so they're so natural in front of the camera so that was another thing and um this kind of idea of like innocence you know mm-hmm. it was kind of really interesting to me but the changing thing was like before I always did a lot of like a lot of editing and a lot of um like I would say kind of video tricks maybe like video tricks like in a way like before like when the the birth dream video had like two channel but then there are some scenes were like color corrected in a way that like I don't know some some video like editing elements were there but this Jeju video is like really just really just maybe um, it's just the footage yeah the speed was a little bit tweaked Mm -hmm. um, but other than that I didn't even color correct or anything it was just like really raw and uh, I really like that in the sense because also again like that time when I first went to Jeju to that residency like changed my mind about like how I want to proceed with my life in certain ways okay like I really felt so touched the way she play with the land with the Mm. soil with the this kind of um, almost bodily knowledge because she was teaching me about all these seeds that she's like do you know what this is and I have no clue (laughs) I'm like I'm a city person I have no clue (laughs) I was so ignorant and she's like it's from this tree and it's like at this stage it falls and blah 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 and it grows into this and yeah Yeah, and I was just like so fascinated how this kid who didn't even enter elementary school knows all this knowledge about nature and the earth and and I just felt like a little bit embarrassed and then a little bit jealous because it's kind of like the childhood I always dreamed I had, you know. <laughs> I, I always lived in cities and I never had that experience. Yeah. And and it was kind of, um, I guess I saw it in this very ideal at the time, like um, frame. Yeah. So like I actually at the time I had this thought like, oh, I really want to move to Jeju and have this mm. kind of like, relationship yeah relationship with the with the land I, I felt like that was what was missing in my life this whole time mm-hmm. so I felt like this kid really enlightened me and mm-hmm. that's like the almost like my grandma like always said you know you can just sweep sweep the floor on then you can become a Buddha and I'm like I never got what she that you know but that's that simple yeah basically it's like <laughs> yeah. you know the moment comes to people in this like unexpected way like places and time yeah. and everybody's different and no one can teach you no one can guide you only happens to you when you're ready blah 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 all that kind of concept yeah. and I felt like I kind of had that moment with her mm. I felt like she was little Buddha that was like showing me something huh. you know like yeah. this weird yeah. so um, so I think that's why the video feels maybe a little bit different because when I was editing it it was kind of like I wasn't really editing it for myself but I was almost I felt like I was guided you know, mm. also with the narrator, he's actually, um, he works for the government. And so he travels a lot for, to um, kind of analyze and study like farming and stuff like that in different Asian countries and also in Jeju. And yeah, he yeah. grew up in Jeju. He's always lived in Jeju Island. So he was a local there. But he had this whole way of speech that was like very like non-government, non-bureaucratic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like very like next door neighbor kind of way, mm-hmm. which I really loved. And he talked for like two and a half hours or something. And I had so, to like... So you edited that down. Oh my God. First, at first it was like 30 minute video and I was like, this is way too long. Yeah. I mean, I mean, everything he said was so interesting. It was like, I had to cut, cut, cut. And finally went to that length, which yeah. I kind of was like, okay, this is okay. 
day. Yeah. Um, but literally I could, and that's why I, I thought, I'm still thinking about that video in terms of editing because again, it's like a lot of content in terms of like a lot of Korean language and I, there has to be a lot of subtitle. And I, I actually don't really like subtitles that much in the sense of like subtitle existing in a subtitle format. That's why in like- You mean like, you know, you want it to have the text exist also in a way that complements- In the- a way that's like- it, in a way that feels like you're not missing out because you're reading the subtitle, mm. you know? Because mm-hmm. oftentimes when I watch movies, I feel that way, you know? Yeah. Foreign mm-hmm. movies. Yeah, yeah. And that's why, let's say, the same difference video, the text is right next to the people. Yeah. Like, right? It's almost like a block, almost almost like a head. Yeah. Another head. Mm-hmm. Or um, also there's different ways I use text in the the birth dream video because it's like typed right mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but this one, I just, because I was thinking about, okay, this is going to be more pure, like more documentary, more like non-edited. That's why I just put the subtitle that way. Yeah. But I'm not sure if it works because, and now I'm thinking maybe what I should do is like, the video is just going to exist without subtitles in Korean text. But then you will have a text in front of you mm. to read if you want. Mm. But I don't know how I feel about that either. I don't know. So I had I re- I was just recently thinking about it because I just feel like this video is just not complete yet in the sense of editing. Like the mm-hmm. content is there, but maybe the way it's... And I feel the same way with the, the triptych that I did because I also showed that one to Rickard. And I mean, I'm having a lot of conversation with him because like I've been traveling to Thailand and then I'm doing this show in his gallery and stuff right, like right, that. Right. And, and he, he was like, I'm really intrigued about the stories, but I have no idea what they're talking about, what it's about yeah. or what they're talking about. But the visuals interesting, the yeah. the tech like the story's somewhat interesting, but things are not really being connected. Mm-hmm. And actually in that triptych, there's three different narratives happening at the same time. Mm. And I'm not and I show I showed it in the show where I showed the hundred eight mask parts Mm -hmm. and this show was all about like mystery so you're supposed to solve the mystery Mm. like and it was in the context the group show was about mystery yeah yeah inspired by agatha christie Uh so that's why this video was actually kind of made that way but a lot of people were confused too (laughs) and um yeah but the core of that that video story is that buddhist the monk story from Mm. from the um from japan yeah uh, which I think is similar to my interest in the Tibetan Buddhist mandala, like yeah. Tibetan um, sand mandala. So I have to figure out the format. I think the content exists in both videos, but I'm still figuring out um, best way to present it to the viewer in the sense yeah. that it will be translated in a yeah. way more, more not I mean, clear, but maybe more. I mean, you're dealing with it. Like that's why, again, I was thinking about audience because you're dealing with it. I mean, that's way more complicated than mine because most of my text is in English. Right, right. So when I put t- when I put subtitles, it's to emphasize certain things mm-hmm. or emphasize a name. I think I only have one video where my grandma's speaking in Chinese, and that's mm. all subtitles. Mm. But outside of that, I try. It's hard, mm-hmm. right? Because you can't, like you said, you can't focus on both the visuals and the text. Yeah, and also in a way, I'm think I I had this thought once, like maybe my really ideal audience is someone like me who's bilingual, right? And I think I think of that um, often. I've never really made work in a sense, but I think bilingual experience is very specific experience, right? To be able to go between two languages like that, I think is something very unique to bilinguals, right? Like, and I feel like I. 
I'm naturally working that way because I am bilingual, but of course, most of my audience is not and doesn't go in that context, right? Yeah. It's either shown in Korea or it's either shown in the US or, and so I'm trying to still deal with this issue that yeah. I have as like who I am as a person and how that is reflected in my work, but then maybe not very like general audience friendly in, in, yeah. in a way. Something we all are trying to figure out. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I like the I like the translation that exists in my work. I often, even in my drawings, I often use both English and Korean. Mm-hmm. I noticed and, that. Yeah, and sometimes they are and sometimes Chinese. Yeah, and sometimes Chinese, and sometimes they're direct translations. Sometimes they're totally different texts. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like the, I don't know the the things that are lost, the things that are get that are gained, the things that cannot be translated, and things you know. It's, it's yeah. It's an interesting because language. I'm interested in language history, stories, and all these things. So. I think it kind of all comes back to to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you? Where can people find me? Yeah. <laughs> um, they can find me online. <laughs> where? Yeah. Where? What? What are your platforms? Uh, so I have a website, liujin.com, but I really cons. Mm. So everybody hates my website. <laughs> have told me like bluntly. Oh, my the, sister's like the old index. Of- <laughs> Yeah, which I think they're now charging for is no longer free. Yeah, but I have the old ones like forever, or yeah. whatever you know. And my sister's like, Eugene, please, <laughs> please hire a web designer because my because her friends are like interested in like what in R wants to know my work. Like, I'm too embarrassed to show your website, and I'm just like, <laughs> and then multiple pe- friends have also told me this, and I also remember talking to you about it. Like, oh, I'm thinking about you know my website or whatever. Yeah. But I really consider my website as like an archive place. Mm, it's yeah. not really like a place to really sell my work or like yeah. PR myself. Yeah. It's like most of the information that I want to give out to people it's, it's are there, there in the way know? that you want it. Yeah, yeah, in the way that I want it. So, you know, so which means you're not going to get all the information and it's not going to be the most organized ways. But um, so you have to go see her stuff at a show, basically. At a show or, you know, like I have also, I don't know. So now I'm thinking like, um, I don't know, like I'm, I'm, I'm actually thinking more like going more local, right? Like the whole idea of like, uh, like being closer to the land is like a similar mm-hmm. concept, I think. Like right. I'm thinking a lot about, you know, um, like the system that we belong to and the problems of it and what's the solution how do i move forward with it and i think for me the re- my recent decision is that i just have to be more engaged with the people that are present in front of me and yeah. in my life right now and then when i move and i'm, I'm at other places i engage engaged there with the people that i meet there and and if i end up like touching one person in that local place that's great. I mean, I recently had a show, a, a, a solo show, but it was at a small project space in Cheongju, which is like an hour and a half away from Seoul. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really small city. No one really goes there. It's not a tourist city or anything. Yeah. There are a lot of universities there, but you know, it's, and um, it's almost like pointless to have this show, like in, in, this, in the sense of like, if you think about like New York, you know, like you, it's not, it's not like even like an artist space in New York kind of thing, you know, it's like really like it was in a, 
neighborhood where old people live yeah. and there's mm-hmm. like a kindergarten right Some across from it. Just hanging out. Yeah. yeah. And, and my audience literally was like, Harmony, like a grandma walking her grandchild home from the kindergarten because yeah. the kindergarten yeah. right in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that was sweet. I don't know. And I would say like, the kids are interested and the grandma's kind of like, what is this place? It's like, come in. And, you know, and so I think... So, yeah, maybe you just have to find me where I'm at, where right. I'm at. And okay. <laughs> maybe you'll find that out on yeah. my Instagram or I don't know, wherever. Yeah, what's your Instagram? My Instagram is just eugenlee.art, okay. which is super boring. Um, I should There's find There's probably a ton more. of eugenlees. Yeah. Right. But people told me, like, I should have some cryptic name, Instagram mm. name, because that's the whole point of Instagram, I guess. I never knew. <laughs> someone told me, like, well, you're supposed people to not... different su- uses of it. Yeah, but, like, someone, like a lot of my artist friends, like, yeah, like, you'll never find me with my name. And that's a thing on Instagram. But, like, I never knew this before. <laughs> well, I think it talks about the mystery, I think. I mm. think a lot of artists, you know, is the whole thing, especially video... Like people only putting stills on their website, oh, okay. right? And so, like, then a curator will have to personally contact you, be like, "Can I see more?" Oh, I see. So I think, I think, I think the, that what your friends who are talking about the Instagram and that use are using it in that same vein. Yeah, yeah. But for me, you can find me easily because it's just my name. Yeah, All right. <laughs> yeah. Jeju is going to be your New Mexico, right? You're you're just gonna. Go there, leave society, and be like you know George O'Keefe, Lucy Bart, <laughs> Bruce Nauman. I get, I didn't think it. of it in that context, but you're right. It is right because you're leaving behind society in a way to, like you say, again, touch with the land because mm. you find it inspiring, and that's yeah. more important than being in an art center potentially for Mm-mm-mm. you, for at least now. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I kind of caught like jokingly the other day said like. I'm self-exiling myself to this island because actually Jeju Island back in like the dynasty era, like pre-1900 was like an island that the government would send their opposite party high officials on exile. They would send them to Jeju. Oh, it was an exile island. Yeah. The worst place they could send was Jeju. And they said, there's this one very famous- The worst place. Yeah. Yeah. There's this this, one very famous scholar. island. I know, it's, but it's, I guess at the time it was like not. I guess it was you, very. And I guess you have nothing there then. Yeah, and I guess it was really hard to get there because, mm. like, they would say you have to risk your life to get to this island mm. at the time. Right. You know, so, like no airplanes. Yeah, which is quite funny now <laughs> to think of it that way now. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Did I miss anything? Is there anything you want to last words or? No, that good? was fun. That's fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks so much, Eugen. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the fifth episode of Seeing Color. And even more thanks if you've been following since the beginning. It's been a wonderful learning experience and enlightening to hear all the feedback. I just wanted to let you know that I will be switching over to a bi-weekly release from this point on. So don't fret, I'll be back in two weeks with another episode. As usual, Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Ziwon Chang. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram. 
Twitter and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color Pot. If you enjoyed this show and have the time, please go into Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give Seeing Color a good review. This really helps others discover the show and gives greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now. <laughs>